0: Before we start, we want to say a quick thank you to Wharton Fintech's platinum sponsor, the Stevens Center for Innovation in Finance. The Stevens Center is a premier research, education, and thought leadership institution in the world for financial technology. Hello, everyone, and welcome to the Wharton FinTech Podcast. I'm your host, Miguel Armaza. Our guest today is Manuel Silva, general partner at Moto Capital, a venture capital fund looking for entrepreneurs and startups in financial services with over $400 million in assets under management. We talked about Manuel's career path and how he landed in venture capital, the history of Moro Capital, and why they recently spun out of Santander Bank. Moro Capital's investment strategy, investing in global fintech, and regions and markets where they see the biggest opportunities, navigating COVID, and a whole lot more. And now join me in a great interview with Manuel Silva. Manuel, thank you so much for joining us and and welcome to the World Fintech podcast. Uh, Bienvenido al podcast. Uh, maybe we can start by hearing a bit about your trajectory and, and background and how you got to your current role.
1: Yeah, no, of course. Hola, Miguel. I need to speak in Spanish first. Great to be here. Thanks for having me. Yes, as you were saying, my name is Manuel Silva. I'm Spanish, but you know, I have a little bit of an international career. I was raised in Belgium. I spent university time in France, in China, and then, you know, my kind of Professional tribulations have taken me to Silicon Valley, where I started investing like 10 years ago. And then now I'm in London running more capital. So I've been, I've been kind of in the corporate investment space and now I'm more in the independent fintech space for like a decade or so. So, you know, I've seen a lot of things. So hopefully I'll be able to share some of that today.
0: Yeah, of course. And, and you've been in venture also for quite a while. Uh, tell us about, you know, your trajectory with specifically within venture capital.
1: Yeah, no, of course. So, you know, I would say there's no typical career venture. I think my case is no is not dissimilar. So, you know, Moro Capital, which is the fund I'm running now, is a fintech fund. And my entire trajectory has been basically focused on, on innovation within fintech. I initially started investing as an evolution of uh, kind of a corporate development role I had at a Spanish bank called BBVA, Spanish and very Latin American bank called BBVA, that uh, back in the days, and this is, you know, 2010, was... You know, it was very forward-looking, uh, investing a lot in innovation. And then we had done a few things on the startup side, mostly in Spain and Europe. And then I was lucky enough that, uh, you know, somebody has the right question, which is, you know, is there a better way to do this? And I had the right answer. And I said, well, yes, there's something called VC that was at the time not that common in financial services. And so I was lucky enough, again, 2010 or so, to move to San Francisco, where you know, everything at the time was happening there, and then establish the corporate VC for BBVA out there. Global mandate, but primarily very much focused on the West Coast, and that was on, under a little bit of a, of a corporate angle. So there was always a bit of a strategic investment piece, although you know most of the investments we did were actually you know, good successes and, and very financial in nature. Five years ago, and for personal reasons, I wanted to come back to Europe and build a bit closer to home. And then at the time, Santander was establishing a corporate VC program, so I thought it was a good way of kind of bridging. You know, the capabilities of, I had in Silicon Valley with a little bit more of a, a European spirit while keeping global mandate, in a way. So I moved over to London as one of the partners of Santander InnoVentures, which was, as I said, Santander's corporate DC, and then have kind of grown into running it starting a couple of years ago and then spinning it out of something there as a way to evolve the program and to create a bit more of an independent fund that we'll talk about it in a second, but that, that definitely has the only proposition to the market that is differentiated. And that's really interesting, I
0: think. Yeah. Let's talk about that decision to spin off from something that I understand that you are still a sole LP institution. Is that the case?
1: Yeah, that's right. So you know, the current format. So Moral Capital is a single LP fund, but otherwise we're structured just like any other institutional VC in the market. And I think really the decision comes from a, a joint decision, a joint collaboration of trying to understand, or try to explain more so to Santander, there, kind of where where the market is going and how competition has been creeping up and how competitive you need to be to get into the best deals, right? And you know, and I have to say we, we had a pretty optimized program under some kind of interest, you know, actually quick compared to our peers in closing deals. We're reasonably independent. But I think at the end of the day, you know, the best deals are won in the last second these days and really in the last inch. And so you always need to keep on thinking, what's the best way to do what you do and how can you be most attractive to entrepreneurs? And I think at the end of the day, what to boil it down to one reason is probably that, right? The independence allows you to be much more competitive, allows you to align way more with the CEOs you invest in, the people alongside you on the cap table, it allows you to invest much more long term and to kind of project that long-term investment and that long-term help to your companies in a much cleaner way to them. And we've noticed that since uh, you know since we announced the change of structure around summer that you know, the quality of the deals has gone up. The, the way startups are inquisitive about your value proposition, how you're different, has become much more intense and much more interesting from a conversation standpoint. And so I guess. From that perspective, the the objectives were met, I would say.
0: Got it. Got it. And let's talk about your, maybe your portfolio, or also what are you thinking of when you look at the market and you start approaching sourcing, right? Has that changed? Has that evolved? Or is your focus pretty much the same from before
1: the spinoff? You know, I think mentally, we've always been respectful maybe not always, but, you know, definitely for the past few years, we've been, always, we've been investing under the approach that you need to invest in the best possible companies you can access, right? And I think that remains the core the core driver for us. And now on the model, it's it's even more like that, right? for reasons that anybody who's in the industry with, would understand, right? So I think from that perspective, you know, the top-quality entrepreneurs, top-quality delivery, big problems, big ideas, that is definitely what we're looking for and has been for a while. Now, I think... You know, one of the things we're working quite a bit on is to try and be much more thesis-driven as we source, to your point. And I guess at the end of the day, we are a team that we keep our eyes open to anything that comes our way. And we, you know, our network is super generous with us and brings us a lot of great good things. But at the end of the day, also, we want to build a vision of where financial services are going and how money, as finance, but also as a concept of value, interacts with technology and where that is going as a concept and as practical applications and startups in the future. And so a lot of the investments we do are really following some of those lines and those thoughts, right? And we really play along, obviously, different horizons, anywhere from kind of more short-term stuff, typically on the infrastructure side, B2B, enterprise, fintech stuff like that all the way to kind of new models, to new product offerings, to new products that are appearing in underserved markets. And then ultimately areas of we're exploring more and more areas around basically the intersection between was saying, finance and other industries, logistics, education, mobility, stuff like that, also as a way to identify the white spaces that will emerge over the next few years and that should be big economies that we want to be participants in, right? I think if you take all that into consideration, as I was saying, the idea is that as we deploy this fund and hopefully raise others and keep on deploying, that is our own editorial view of where the industry is going. And that is our own view of where finance and technology should meet for the future.
0: I think that's interesting, particularly because your focus is not for a specific region, right? You're a global fund. You have investments in, in the US, Europe, Latin America, and probably beyond. Obviously, fintech has many parallels across its regions, but also, you know, each region is pretty unique. How do you approach this parallels, right? How do you draw comparisons between each region and how do you approach adding value to your different portfolio companies?
1: Yeah, that's a really good question. And I have to say, we spend tons of time thinking about that and work with entrepreneurs entrepreneurs also get their feedback and see how it can be more valuable to them. So you say you know we're pretty global. I mean, realistically, I would say we've we've been very active in the U.S. half of our portfolio is there more or less. We've been very active in Europe, especially in London, but we have an increasingly good coverage of the continent and then Latin America, of course, primarily Mexico and Brazil. But I would say Latin America as a region, which I'm personally kind of in love with, and I spent a lot of time there and trying to understand where the change can come there. I'm, I'm very excited about that too, right? And so within that world, really, the way we add value to companies is three ways, right? So The first one is, as you said, we're lucky enough to have a lot of operator experience across different pieces of financial services, right? Whether it's infrastructure to products, whether it's regulated pieces, understanding the dynamics of certain markets, international. So along all those lines, we have personal experiences from our own past or from companies we invested in and we've learned together with entrepreneurs. And so from that perspective, that is for entrepreneurs to get from us, and we try to productize that for them and see how we can help them in their, their big decisions. Right? Now, back to your point on kind of international, I mean, one thing that has proven to be very successful, in a way, are two things, right? So, because we've been seeing companies that do similar business models in different markets, we have a good view as to what works and what doesn't. And so, somehow, you know, for example, some of our latest investments in LATAM, since we're asking are like credit-led, Neobank in Mexico, Claro a credit company called Creditas in, in Brazil that has secure credit. And we came in recently in those companies. But The thing is, those are playbooks we've seen happen in the U.S., we've seen happen in Europe, and we've seen how they've evolved and how those companies have become sometimes great companies, sometimes trends that have disappeared or faded away over time. And I think as we select companies, as we talk to entrepreneurs, having all that background is super helpful in building conviction and in kind of being on the same page very early on in the conversation so we can really talk about business and how we can help them. The other thing that's interesting, and, you know, we have people in the ground in the US, in Europe, and not yet in Latin America, but hopefully one day, is that you can also help companies bridge those markets as they become international, right? So I would say the London to US fundraising corridor is something we can help a lot with, and a lot of Series B companies we invest in in Europe are asking for, for kind of that bridge. And even within Europe, we have strong network at early stages in the continent, and then London is more of a kind of multi-stage fundraising environment. We can also help companies bridge that, right? So kind of plugging ourselves into the global capital flows and helping our companies with their fundraising life lifecycle. That's also another thing that has been quite successful and that's quite unique because of our kind of international nature.
0: Yeah, and, and you bring uh, Latin America and you, you mentioned that you're in your love with the region. I, I'm, I share that passion. I, I think the region is definitely going through a, a revolution. Where do you see it evolving going forward? There obviously, you know, it's it's a it's a market that's still developing, right? How do you envision the next few years?
1: I think as you say, you know, the market is developing, and I see a lot of opportunity in just providing kind of digital-first basic products to the market that are still unresolved, right? And some of the companies I was mentioning in our portfolio, which again are are very kind of timely and recent successes show that there's unmet needs in the market and that if you take a 2020 or soon 2021 lens to a classic problem, there's a way to create something that's valuable for the market. Now, there's something that I'm also very intrigued about Latin America is, you know, Latin America has its own way of working, right? It's different infrastructure, it's different mindset, the way the region is organized. It's very specific, especially to, you know, people who haven't spent time in the region to necessarily always understand the Dynamics of the region, etc. etc. And I think as a result of that, there's a big opportunity to create local companies that really understand those problems and can tailor those playbooks that may be successful in the US or Europe or Southeast Asia, uh, can tailor that to the reality of that right? And I'm very excited about how that's going to pan out in the future and how, for lack of a better word, there can be a little bit of a leapfrogging effect as. Companies, as they apply those playbooks to innovating in the region, realize, oh, well, you know, we don't have this infrastructure yet here, so let's build that too. We don't have these dynamics, so let's build that too. We don't have this way of conceiving fraud or identity or security. Let's build it too, right? And it's kind of this adaptation to the region of things that have worked elsewhere, where I see a lot of opportunities too that can be super interesting and super financially profitable for the discerning VC, if you will, right? So definitely very excited about that. I think that there's a third element that I'm fascinated about, which, and I would place a few bets on that hopefully in the future, which is Latin America has never been a unified region. And, you know, Brazil is a universe in itself. Mexico is a universe in itself. But even the smaller economies, even if they're more exposed to their neighbors, are a in themselves. You know, Chile has nothing to do with Colombia, nothing to do with Peru, nothing to do, of course, with Bolivia, or Ecuador, like that, right? But I think there's an opportunity as the region becomes more digital and as everything unifies through this kind of layer of digitization to create businesses that are really regional. And I guess in FinTech, we've seen early days of that with some of the neobanks going kind of north from Argentina, from Brazil. But I think there's a massive opportunity in creating even more integration in the region. around trade, around logistics, around cross-border payments, cross-border services, et cetera, et cetera, that is still to be made. And that, again, maybe it wouldn't naturally come from the old economy and the incumbent economy, but I think in a digital world where things are much more fluid and the boundaries are less there and the commonalities between the different countries of LATAM shine more over differences, I think there's an opportunity to create regional companies that is really also very exciting from from a venture capital perspective.
0: Yeah, I know that some funds that we've actually had on the show, for example, are looking at the Pacific Alliance corridor. Other companies are hopeful that there'll be further integration with things like Mercosur, right? But it seems like it's taking time, right? It it seems like it's it's not at the level that most people would wish. You know, how can the ecosystem help get
1: there? It's interesting because... You know, one of our portfolio companies is this company in the UK called True Layer that is basically creating they're innovating the open banking space, they're creating payment originator and data aggregation and stuff like that. And we're talking the other day about, you know, regions of the world, right? And I think this, you know, in, in Europe we're lucky that regulators have been pushing for standards around that and that has created an industry itself. So the whole open banking industry in Europe is big, at least conceptually, I'm not sure economically, but it's big conceptually and it changes the way you do the banking. And so the CEO of this company, Francesco, who's Italian, we're talking about you know regions of the world, we're talking about LATAM, Asia, places like that. And how this ties into your question is, we're reflecting on the utility of the public sector in pushing some of those initiatives, or the private sector is the public sector is maybe a little bit slow, right? And so I think at the end of the day, you know, if you go back to, to the basis of entrepreneurship, I think how startups can help that is by kind of acknowledging that those big infrastructure problems are... Problems that are really hard to solve, but if you solve it, that's worth a lot of money, and that puts you, and that's very defensible, and that puts you in a very, very good position. And so I would say those problems are really exciting, and they may seem very big, but you know, there's a history of private companies, venture-backed companies that have solved for problems that then became systemic pieces of infrastructure that then created ecosystems and innovation and welfare for their own economies, right? So I think there is definitely a role to play in the entrepreneur and the venture-backed economy in pushing for some of those boundaries and kind of replacing or improving some of the infrastructure and and creating change at the regional and local level.
0: Manuel, we are talking uh, almost at the end of 2020. This episode will be published next year. But this has been a strange year, right? (laughs) It started off as a strong year. Then we all got hit with a pandemic that seems to be getting a more and more prolonged. But at the same time, fintech has been thriving for the most part, of course. And and fintech VC investing hasn't really suffered. I mean, of course, it depends on where you look, but on a global macro basis, mm-hmm. it's actually performed really well. Take us through
1: this year for you.
0: How have you navigated this crisis? And I mean, you you've had a a spin-up in, in between of all of this.
1: <laughs> yeah, I mean, you know, just to talk more about the market than our own story, which has been has its own uh, zoom hours attached to it, if you will. But you know, as you say, you know, if you take a step back and you go a year ago, and a year ago we came from, a, you know, we're in a world where there was a lot of capital interested in fintech. You know, there was record numbers for deals done. Valuation step ups, you know money flowing to the market, et cetera et cetera, and then somehow that money hasn't disappeared all over the country. I think it has it has just adapted it has maybe slowed down a little bit for a few months. It has educated itself around how this whole pandemic has changed certain habits, but it's still there, right, and as you say, you know smart money has kept on investing, I think we'll see more of that next year as well right so that just shows that that part hasn 't changed that I think the product has changed a little bit to some extent, is that COVID has kind of fundamented or confirmed a lot of the hypotheses of, on which some of these funds were built. But not only has it confirmed it, it has also accelerated quite a bit, right? And that's what we've seen, for example, in our portfolio where you know, any company that had any exposure to digital or any company that was helping on the B2B side, incumbents become more digital. Those companies are through the roof in terms of revenue. They've been hiring like crazy. They've been like, you know, fundraising in some cases just to be able to keep up with the demand and, and building the team, et cetera, et cetera. And so effectively, what we've seen is that, you know, what they're planning on achieving in two three years, maybe by educating the market of how their solution is needed and why they should be more digital, et cetera, et cetera. The market has kind of self-educated itself and the demand has boomed, right? So, and I think some of those changes are here to stay. And so is that acceleration of the hypothesis upon which some of those funds were... We're investing that to me has really been kind of the driving factor of what we've seen, I would say at the micro level in our portfolio, in our local markets, and what we hopefully will keep on seeing over the next year, right? So it has been interesting from that perspective. But then of course, you know, there's a bunch of other things that are worth mentioning. I mean, probably nothing super new because I think a lot has been written on, on this. But you know, of course some companies have suffered a little bit more, you know, lenders have suffered a little bit more. But you know, just to talk about the positive, I think for example, for Latances we'll talk about that. There's a renewed opportunity for LATAM because the investors investing in the region now have increased the level of understanding of the region. And I think there has been a lot of capital flowing in the past in LATAM without really knowing what they were investing in the region. I think the guests who are now investing there, including ourselves, well, at least I to want to believe that we're in that category, are much more educated in the region in our understanding, much more the micro-opportunity. And are being much more helpful to entrepreneurs, so I think from that perspective this has been good for that as well in addition to accelerating all the other trends that that I was mentioning which you know La has been particularly meaningful I would say right so I don't know a, a lot of things and I would say a lot of things that that are generally positive in the venture world to be honest and uh, you know when, when we started seeing the early days of the pandemic, I have to say that I wasn't that convinced that the yeah, outlook at the end of the day was going to be that positive, but in retrospect has been a Good year as it has been weird.
0: Yeah, I think weird is, is an understatement. <laughs> yeah. Great. So uh Mabel, when you think of the road ahead for you and for Moro Capital, you know, starting with next year and beyond, what do you envision? What's in store?
1: Yeah, no, I think you know, for us it's really it's very simple. We want to be investing in the best possible companies to be the best partner to those CEOs and to those teams, right? And everything we do, and we have it like written all over our office. I mean, you know, everything we do needs to be aligned with that. So more tactically, what that means is, you know, we're spending a lot of time with our CEOs, existing CEOs, trying to understand what can make them more successful. We're kind of obsessed with not only doing what is expected from a VC, but also trying to find what the extra mile that is actually surprising. And to me, the best compliment is, "Oh, I didn't know that you guys could do that." "Oh, oh, I didn't know you guys knew about this," but right? or Oh, I didn't know that you had that connection or that you had this other person in your portfolio that can know about this, right? So to me, it's creating that extra level of delight, if you will, within our portfolio that makes them more successful beyond what just expected from us. And of course, you know, that is slightly self-serving too, because at the end of the day, you want to be top of mind for who, any entrepreneur who's fundraising. But also to be honest, I think on a personal level, and I think I speak also for the team on this one, I think it's really our passion. And I think that's where we as individuals strive, right? We don't like the paperwork. We don't like bureaucracy. We don't like any of that. What we really enjoy is you know, going to our company's headquarters, if they have headquarters. Now we have a couple of companies that don't have offices anymore. But, and just you know, spend time with them, trying to help them solve those big problems and kind of make them successful and, and being part of it at the human level, right? Not only through capital. So I think to your question, what's in store, I think a lot of that, you'll see a lot of that next year. And we're spending a lot, a lot, a lot, a lot of time making sure that whenever we invest in, in new companies, they perceive that value and tailor our value proposition to them so that we're, we're the partner of choice. Right? And I think more collectively, as I said, you know, it's very interesting in seeing what opportunities the post-COVID world opens. I think we have a good understanding of what the drivers behind them will be. Now it's a matter of being quick at spotting how they turn into companies that are investable. And still a lot of U.S., still a lot of Latin, still a lot of Europe Hopefully also within Europe, a lot of London, but also a lot of continental Europe, which I'm also very passionate about. So, you know, if you have listeners in Spain, Portugal, Poland, Sweden, Germany, we love those ecosystems. We're here to help and hopefully doing all this at scale and building a brand that everybody wants to work with.
0: Exciting times ahead. And, and we, we definitely do have listeners in, in those places that they'll be glad to hear that you in,
1: in Belgium, where I was raised, I always forget Belgium, but you know, Belgium is close to my heart. <laughs> <laughs> a place
0: well Manuel, thanks again for joining before we let you go uh we always love to ask all of our guests about you know some of their personal side and maybe you could tell us a bit about some of your hobbies and i suspect they might have changed a little bit during the last 10 months
1: yeah well you know yes and no i mean you know i'm not very original but i'm i like to cook i'm a little bit of a foodie and so you know this. COVID actually did lot, brought me back to the kitchen more, more often than uh, than you would think. Then another hobby that's a little bit of a, it's a family thing, but you know, we you know, part of my family is from a small town in northern Spain, in a place called Galicia, which uh, you know, the Latin Americans here would have some connotations to that. Uh, and they, we historically have been a little bit in the wine business, but, you know, tiny production and stuff like that. But so I'm spending a lot of time kind of educating myself a little bit more about that. And, At some point, that will become a little bit my side project at some point in time. So that's another little hobby, businessy hobby, if you will.
0: That's uh, probably one of the best that we've gotten. Not a lot of winemakers in FinTech as well. So,
1: yeah.
0: (laughs) Thank you so much. You're really uh, now a friend of the show, a friend of Wharton. Uh, I always invite our guests to stop by campus once things get better. So you're absolutely Mm. invited and thank you again.
1: Yeah, thanks for the invitation. Thanks for having me on the show, and thanks so much.
0: Thank you for listening to today's episode of the Warton FinTech Podcast. If you like the show, please consider leaving us a review or letting us know in the comments. It means a lot and helps spread the word to more listeners. If you want more content from our FinTech community, please subscribe to our podcast channel and find us on linkedin twitter and the rest of social media at wharton fintech you will find interviews articles videos and much more analyzing all aspects of the industry we also want to extend a special thank you to our show editor rafael ostria signing off i'm your host miguel Armasa.